We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is still out gallivanting, suffering for the Lord in California. We're, we're praying for him that he's surviving. You can find us on Facebook, though, at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. But, friends, you are in for a treat. I think only our third return in-studio guest ever in the history of the show is my friend, Louis Dooley. Louis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate the opportunity, brother. It's a blessing to be here. Dude, likewise, man. I encourage you. No, I beseech you. Go to lewisdooley.com. That's D-O-O-L-E-Y. He actually wrote a fantastic book. It's called Prison Saved My Life. I recommend it for everyone, which I'm sure anyone listening that doesn't know who you are is thinking... What on earth is this guy's story? Like, what does he mean prison saved my life? So I'd love, before we go any further, for you just to tell your story uh, as best you can in seven or so minutes, because I think there's so much jam-packed in what brought you to where you're at today. So later in the hour, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that you're you're doing right now. But a lot of that really was formed in this very specific season in your life. Why don't you mm-hmm. just tell us about that? Yeah, well, first, I'd like to say it's pretty cool how you went all King James version on us <laughs> with the Beseech. So oh, Romans 12.1. I don't use Beseech a whole lot these days. Let's bring it back. Well, I feel honored by you using it with me. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, man. Yeah. So, uh, man, I've just I got to go back to like 1994 when I was 19 years old. I was convicted of attempted murder and first degree armed robbery and sentenced to life plus 100 years in prison. And I was kind of, you know, shocked by that happening. And I was kind of confused because I didn't really know what that meant. Did that mean I have to live my life, die and come back and do 100 years? <laughs> I still don't know what that means. actually. Yeah, Well, I actually learned what it meant years later, but that was the sentence. And I was like, my life is over, you mm-hmm. know, so I don't know if anybody's ever been in that situation where something that um, traumatic has happened, where you feel like there's nowhere to turn, like nowhere. Yep. Um, that's where I was. And so um, it was after trial, my third day, where they cuffed me up. Um, they took my clothing, gave me an orange jumpsuit, put me in a dorm room with a bunch of guys. And I had been in and out of jails before, but not to that magnitude. And um, a guy, a guy came up to me with an orange jumpsuit with a box full of goodies, gave it to me, left without saying anything. And I thought he was trying to make a move on me. So mm. I decided I need to try to take his life because where I'm from, nobody gives you something for nothing. Right. So... I ate some of the food, put on some of the clothes and make him think I took the bait. And then later that night when everyone was asleep, I made my way to his cell and rushed inside. And as soon as I got in there, I was shocked and surprised to see him and a few other guys in there having a Bible study. Wow. And so I just kind of stopped because I didn't know it was other people in there. And you, and know, you were going there to beat the dude, right? Like you I was were going there to try to bash his brains out against right, the wall right. to kill him. I thought I got to kill him or I'm going to get killed. That really was the objective? I got to go in this guy's Absolutely. life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So... Um, he handed me a Bible track about Jesus and they looked at me like, okay, you can leave now. So I left hmm. 
and went back to my bunk and sat down and, you know, just started trying to identify like why my life had come to that. You know, what went wrong, what decisions right. that I made make to lead me to this point. And so there were many factors and variables, one of which was my father being murdered when I was 15 and a drug deal gone wrong. And Jeez. that kind of sent me in a tailspin, if you will. And I just kind of didn't care about my life anymore or really nobody else's. And, you know, the drug game was right there to get involved in. So started selling weed, which turned into selling crack and then turned into fights and shootouts, drive by shootings, all that kind of stuff. And so it just led me right there in that moment. So where were you living at this time? Where you said you said you were 19 when you were arrested, right? Yeah, yeah, when I was convicted. I'm from East St. Louis, Illinois, so okay. a little bit farther south in the state. So how how much of that like was just the culture that you were a part of? Like it just did that seem normal to you at 18, 19? Yeah, this is this is what the community around me is doing. I guess this is what I'll do too. Yeah, it's kind of like everybody else is doing it. You know, and what right. kind of kept me away from that was my father. He was very physically abusive. Mm. And so I was afraid to do that stuff and he did it. I'd see him bag up drugs and get high in front of me. And, no but, kidding. But he was like, you know, if you ever touch this, I'll kill you. And I thought he was like, for real. Oh, I didn't know this part of your story. So you, yeah. you, were, wa- you were watching him model this, mm-hmm. but then he yeah. also felt very seemingly protective of you. Yeah, he right? didn't want me going down that same path. And, you know, all my friends were kind of doing it. So when he died, there went the, you know, correction Whoa. of the pr- parental, um, you know, parental things in my life to keep me from it. Right. And so I just poured myself into it. So, so how old were you when he died again? 15. And then 19 when you were convicted. Yep. Yep. So most of us thinking back like to when we were 19, we were not contemplating the types of things that you are now forced to contemplate, right? You're in a cell and you have this track that this guy that you were going to kill, like in your pocket, on your shelf. Like at what point did you read that? Yeah, I read it. So he gave it to me. I kind of thought about how my life got to where it was and I couldn't sleep. So I started reading it immediately. Oh, you did that that night? Right there on the spot. I mean, I couldn't sleep, and, and as it would have it, I wasn't in a cell. I was in a dorm area with a bunch of bunk beds. Okay, okay. And so mine was a single bunk next to some bars, and there was like a little nightlight. No Because it was kidding. completely dark everywhere else. Yeah, it's kind of a, a cool you know scene if I could paint the picture verbally, which I can't, but this little light emanating through the bars right there was enough for me to read this Bible track. And, you know, it talked about God, creation. It talked about sin. I didn't know anything about sin. Right. Then it started talking about hell. Then I started feeling kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> but then it started talking about a second chance, you know, and it was like, man, wow. you know, if I could do something over again, we all have done stuff like that. where We wish we could go back and change something or not do something. Right. But I know that wasn't reality. But the reality was that this Bible track was painting was that I could have a new life moving forward. Oh, man. That I could be forgiven of the things of my past. And that I could have a totally new life if I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And then it talked about this Jesus cat who I never heard of before. And you know, <laughs> you, you really never had Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, the Mormons, the TV commercial. That was the extent, or, no or somebody kidding. cussing using Jesus in the cuss word. Wow! I went to one teen youth group and I got kicked out because I was <laughs> trying to get girls' phone numbers and stuff. So, right. yeah, I mean, that was just the life I lived. So I'm picturing this scene. You're in this bunk totally pitch black and there's like a little bit of light kind of almost ironically coming through prison bars as you're reading about this Jesus that sets people free or gives people second chances. Like you, what did that mean for you in that moment? Because as far as you know, at 19, you're like, well, I'm going to die here. Yep. Yep. Like that seems inevitable. That was my reality. What did, what did a second chance look like to you? Even Mm -hmm. though you knew I'm never going to leave this place. Well, it gave me some hope because it was either a commit suicide, which I was wanting to do. 
but I didn't have a gun. I was too afraid to try to slip my wrist or hang myself. Right. Um, so that was an option, um, but it wasn't realistic. The next thing was reality. Like I am alive and like, what is my life going to become? Wow. You know what? The way I've been living has gotten me to this point. Right. Can this guy, guy, can this Jesus guy do something for my life to where it can be so radically different that I can have a life? No kidding. Yeah. So it was like, that was like the only hope I had was that this will work. And if that don't work, then I don't know what will probably nothing will. So it's sort of like a, like a Pascal's wager, like God, if you're real and I don't know that you are. I prayed that prayer. I said, God, if you really real for for it, I said, listen, my actual prayer was God. If you really real, I'll serve you for my whole life. But the minute you show me you ain't real, I'm through messing with you. That's no. my exact prayer. That night? That night. Just my all happened prayer. in one day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gave my life to Christ my first day. No kidding. Yep. I've known you for like six years. I did not know this part of your story. I didn't know the timeline was that quick. Yep. It was the same day. From going to want to murder this guy. He yep. hands you a track. Yep. Right. A track that maybe a lot of us would look at today and scoff at. You're yeah. reading this in your bunk. Damn. The light through the prison. For the, Earlier that morning, I was at home smoking crack cocaine and weed on my way to trial, getting convicted no at trial. Kidding. Hours later, reading this Bible track. Okay, so my guess is, everyone listening, you're as compelled by this story as I am right now, and this isn't even the first time that I've heard it. So we're going to keep Lewis for the entire hour, learn more about his story, the way that God transformed his life, but not just that, the ways that he's continued to serve people in light of everything that he's experienced. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm will return tomorrow, but you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or 1160hope.com. But I'm absolutely thrilled to have in the studio my buddy, Louis Dooley. You can learn more at louisdooley.com. He also wrote a fantastic book called Prison Saved My Life. I recommend it for everyone. And we've been hearing a bit of your story, even, honestly, elements that I didn't know yet, uh, the recap is that you were convicted at 19, sentenced to uh, life plus 100 years, which I never understood the plus 100 years, right? Like, you already have me for life. What's, yeah. the, what's the point of the 100? Well, you know, in the appeals process of a, a conviction, if one part of your crime is overturned, okay. then you still have the rest of the sentence. So if one of my crimes would have been overturned, got it. then I still got this large chunk of time I have to still do. Okay. So we call it losing you. They were trying to lose me. When they give you those consecutive oh. sentences, they're trying to lose you. Like forever no your life to be in prison. Yeah. Okay. So you, and you actually were handed another life sentence like a year later, Two right? Two more life sentences for Jeez. a robbery I had committed. So, so now at some point you're sitting with three life sentences. Yep. And a hundred years. Plus a hundred years. Yep. But your first day there, you go to a cell to, to beat down a guy, he hands you a track. You're reading it through the light that's coming through the, the prison bars. Mm-hmm. You encounter Jesus in some insane, miraculous way. And what was your what was your prayer again? I just love the prayer that you God, prayed. if um if you real, if you really real, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. But the minute you show me you ain't real, I'm through messing with you. That's incredible. So in, in that moment, would you call that your conversion moment? I would or? say, yeah. I mean, I was really searching and I was really hoping that this stuff was real, but there was some doubt because yeah. I'm just hearing this stuff for the first time in this little pamphlet. Right. So it's like, man, I'm in prison. I got to worry about survival. I didn't yes. know that night. Was I going to get killed in my sleep or was I going to get gang raped or maybe both things would right. happen. So right. there was some major things still in my life that I was facing that I was fearful of. But I was wanting I was wanting this stuff to be real. Right. Because right. I wanted to be different. I wanted it like my life to change. And, and again, just to keep 
in mind, you're 19 at the time, yep. and just like four years prior, your father was murdered, right? Mm-hmm. So between that time, you've experienced a lot of heartache. You've had a lot of stuff kind of beaten into your brain, I imagine, about the way the world works. Yep. And then you're reading about grace and some yeah, yeah. savior from a couple thousand years prior. You're like, what is mm-hmm. I? And again, even just kind of convicting to me that you'd be 19 in the United States. You're like, actually, I'd never really heard of Jesus. Yeah. Like we tend to think about, oh, we need to go to these other countries elsewhere to tell people. Yeah. Here you are in St. Louis. You're yep. like, well, I don't know who this Jesus guy is. Yeah. So what did yep. it look like for you at that next morning or that next week after yeah. you had this bizarre moment? But the reality is that you're still in prison. Yeah. Well, the next the next morning, those guys came to me and brought me a Bible and they taught me how to pray and start. You know, we spent time together, like reading the Bible and talk about what this meant and how we, you know, should like interact with it. And and also um, we sing songs, man. We turned to the book of Psalms and there was the guy that gave me the track, the one I went to go kill. You know, they had actually made a few songs out of the Psalms. Wow. And we were singing right there in the day room. And it was kind of embarrassing and kind of weird. But it was there was this like innocence about it. And there was this sincerity about it that was like, you know what, man, I don't even care. Hmm. You know, who who thinks what? Like, this is my reality now. And this is what I want my life to be. That's incredible. So you're experiencing now kind of like the essence of what church is mm-hmm. right there in the prison. For the first time in my life. Ever. And you had no intentions at all of like falling in love with Jesus and finding a community believer. Right, that could have been furthest from your mind. I, yeah, imagine. I was in love with women and money and drugs. Right. Right. <laughs> that was what I was in love with. So how much, how much of your brain is like even confused by like, you're watching your life unfold. You're like, this is not at all how I pictured this would go. Like, did you ever tell the guy that you initially had went in to smash his head in that that was your plan originally? Nope, you never, never told, told him that nope, guy. Nope. I never told him. No kidding. Nope. So how it didn't really even seem relevant. You know what I mean? Like that was that day and like these are the next days. And, you know, like it seemed like this guy was actually genuinely showing me love. Right. So it's like I didn't want to like mess that up. That's smart. You know, by telling them that. So, you know, yeah. Okay, so what what I imagine is on a lot of people's minds is, wait a minute. So this guy had three life sentences plus 100 years. How is he talking to Ian on the radio right now? Like how on earth did that even happen how'd you get out yeah man i mean for me i would say it's miraculous i mean so over the course of years i did have an appeal go through and they took one like that original life sentence they did take back but i still had the two and so you know i was doing my time i hooked up with the organization called set free ministries where a guy would come in from the outside and teach a bible study and pass out um, Bible courses from Emmaus International so that people could learn the Bible. And I was, I wanted to learn because if I'm going to serve God and know who this Jesus guy is, like the Bible, I had a King James Version Bible, it's not easy navigating it. Yeah, no and so kidding. this was kind of helping me like interpret and understand the scriptures. And so I started volunteer, volunteering for this organization on the inside. And after 13 years of being in prison, uh, the parole board said they wanted to interview me. No so kidding. So I went to the interview um, they told me in six weeks I would get an answer, and six weeks later they told me they were going to let me go in two and a half years. And I just started crying and said, thank you, Jesus. I couldn't believe it. So I mean, it's unheard of. A grand total of 15 years 15 then and for three life sentences yep. plus 100 years. Yeah. So what was that What was that like finally getting out? Because 15 years obviously is much less than three life sentences, but yes. still that's a it's long not time. A, right. That's not an insignificant <laughs> amount of time. Yeah, a lot of change. Right. You did. You became... A young man in prison. Yeah, my first dog died when I was in prison. My favorite uncle died when I was in prison. I had a cousin commit suicide when I was in prison. No and my kidding. mother was dying of cancer when I got out. No kidding. So when I got out, I, w- I didn't even recognize her. Really? Yep. I mean, if I would have been in a room with her with other people, 
I wasn't even recognized. Wow. So that was it was like a sweet blessing and one of the most devastating things that ever happened to me because I'm my, I'm, my, I'm my mother's only child, so wow. I'm a mama's boy. Yeah, right. You know, so that was that was I had a fiance at the time, so that was great. I had a, you know met a lady six years before I got out, and you know. I guess we can say we quote unquote have been dating as much as you the one can. In yeah, prison. how does that work? How does yeah, phone calls, letters, and occasional visit? No kidding. Yep. So you guys fell in love literally through like phone calls and letters, then yep. like this old fashioned romance almost. Yep. So what was it like? Because I I know from a number of people who have been in prison and then got out. You know, to someone like me who's I've never experienced that. Like I think it's easy to miss the devastation of the life you missed. Like once you got out, how how did you figure out what the next thing is that you wanted to do? Man, I didn't know what the next thing was. I knew I, my thing was when I get out, I'm going to get a job. And I was like, I'm okay. going to get a job at McDonald's in the daytime and Burger King at night. Right. Two of my favorite places to eat. <laughs> and also, like most people would say, an undesirable job. Sure. But that meant for me, I'll do anything. I'm going straight. Right. I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard, cleaning toilets, whatever they got me doing. And I'm going to be a productive member of society. And I'm going to serve God in everything I do. That's so good. And so I moved from the East St. Louis area where I was from up to the Carroll Stream area with my wife. We got married right when I got out Okay, and uh, couldn't find a job up here. So it was very difficult. So what did you end up doing? places wouldn't hire me. Well, right. a friend of a friend in West Chicago pointed me to Willow Creek. Um, I gave them a call. Not about a job, but about volunteering. Okay. I had gave up on work. I said, you know what, God? I can't make it happen. I'm going everywhere, arguing with my wife, filling out applications versus going online. Right. <laughs> because right. that was what you do now. And right. I didn't know that. And so um, met a, a man who owns a coffee roasting company in Wheaton called I Have a Bean that they only look to hire ex-felons. So they gave me a job. They needed a roaster. And they had a guy they was going to hire. But the owner met me that Saturday and they hired me that Tuesday. And I was no roasting coffee kidding. that Friday. All right, your story just gets better and better. And that's how long were you a part of I Have a Bean? Uh, about two years. Okay, so that really was like your first, my first job, really. Yep. After being set free, after yep. getting out, after like, getting out. Yep. Okay, so I have like a thousand more questions. By the way, <laughs> thankfully, right. we got you for two more segments. That yep. voice you're hearing is Lewis Dooley. Uh, I can't encourage you enough. Stop what you're doing right now. Go to lewisdooley.com. He also just wrote a book called Prison Saved My Life. I recommend it for everyone. It's a fantastic book. You're getting kind of a glimpse of his story here, but the book goes into a whole lot more detail yep. about not only his story, but the impact that God has had in his life. Coming up next, we're going to continue to talk to Lewis about not only his story, but the ways that God has sort of redeemed his story and what he's kind of doing in the midst of his life right now. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm, we're told, will return shortly. Although, People that go to California don't tend to come back. They just, I saw a for sale sign in front of his house the other day. That might be, I'm just kidding. He'll be back. He'll be back tomorrow. But uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to have in the studio my good buddy, Louis Dooley. You can learn more about him and his life at lewisdooley.com. He wrote a book called Prison Saved My Life. I recommend it for everyone. And it's been pretty wild, actually, because I've known you, I guess, five years, six years, something, something like that. Something like this, six, seven. I've heard yeah. snippets of your story over the course of that time, but even hearing it again now, there's all sorts of elements that I had no idea about. And I'm, I'm curious even just as someone who I imagine you've told your story hundreds of times at this point. Yep. Like, what is that like to revisit what in some ways was a very painful part of your past, but also like the most redemptive part of it? Is that, is that strange to do that in it, different places all over the world? It is. And you know, honestly, in a, in a, in a bad way, you know, for me is, 
you know, it can get very automatic. Yeah, right. You know, where it's like I'm manufacturing the passion or or like it's just another, oh, it's just me sharing my story again. Right. You know, and a guy really convicted me of that because, you know, it's really not my story. It's really his story and right. what he has done in my life. And so, you know, once I start really focusing on that, then it, it reinvigorated me and brought the passion back because I realized that it is God yeah. who did all these things in my life. And there's other people he wants to do these things in their lives. And he wants me. And I don't know why he chose me, but <laughs> he did. He wants me to communicate these things to people so that he can reach them. So I'm just being a, a vessel and I want to be a humble vessel and I want to be an obedient one. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Well, and I just want to go on record too to say how much I appreciate you personally because we we were even in a small group together. So to anyone listening, it's like it's not just somebody that I sort of know. Like mm-hmm. I've seen your love for the gospel and your love for people in action, mm-hmm. and like you are through and through the real deal. Like it's mm-hmm. been so you, encouraging just to see the way that God has worked in and through you. And I mean, anecdotally, I also just like you. Like, I just think oh, you're I think you're a really Lord. good dude, but you're authentic, <laughs> and I think that the church needs more stories like yours uh, of people who are as honest and humble as you are about, Hey, here's the part that I can't take any credit for. This is God just showing up in my life, which is really true for all of us. Yeah. But I think it's easy to miss that part and where we left off in your story. So you, uh, you miraculously got out of jail yep. and you get married, right? And you get a job at Iva Bean, yep. right? Finally. And you were there for, you know, a little over two years and now you're involved in two ministries, uh, Emmaus and, set free. Yep. I'm wondering, can you just tell us a little bit about what those ministries do and what your involvement with them looks like? Yeah. So set free ministries is a non-for-profit headquartered in St. Louis. And they, their goal is to disciple people through um, helping them study the Bible. And so they partner with another non-for-profit called Emmaus International. They actually publish the Bible courses. Oh, so right that's on. the relationship. Okay. Got it. Um, set free. We get them at a huge discounted price because we're giving away for free. So they cost money. Right. And so we have thousands of students scattered over like five different states. Set free does. And we mail them out about 35000 a year. We get a little over 30000 back no to kidding. us. They have to be graded, handwritten responses to, certificates printed. All kind of stuff Whoa. to, you know, help people learn the Bible because we believe that's the starting point is understanding God through his word. And then, you know, it's living the life. And so that's what Set Free does. And, wow. you know, so my role is I'm the regional director for the state of Illinois. So a part of my responsibility is getting the Bible courses into all the jails and prisons in this whole state. And you were saying the numbers uh, 30,000? We sent about it? 30. I think last year we did about 33,000. We sent out and we got about 29 to 30,000 back. Okay, that number's way bigger than I thought it was. So these are these are oh, yeah. men and women, or is men it men and women? Do in men and women, all the prisons and jails in Illinois, Missouri, North and South wow. Dakota, Kansas, and all the Spanish in California, and all the Spanish in Iowa. And the, and this is like a correspondence school. Like it it's, is. Uh, so they're exactly. taking these tests. Yep. They're Nailing sending them to you, and then you grade them. We grade and we print certificates. There's essay questions wow. where we have hundreds of volunteers that write handwritten responses back to encourage them and to help them get on the mark if they're off the mark. Holy cow. All right. So that's one spoke of what you're doing. But you yep. got a whole lot of other things that yeah, you're also and, responsible and for. And in International, what uh, my wife and I do for them is, you know, kind of like promotion. I mean, these Bible courses that they produce, which there's over 100 of them, they're yeah. using over 100 countries and translating over 80 languages. No kidding. So they're from, they say from Arabic to Zulu, wow. A to Z. Wow. So those countries specifically have these courses being used to start churches yeah. and to do jail and prison ministry. So the courses aren't just for prison and jail. They're for anybody to learn the Bible. Okay. And so when I go speak at churches, I'm trying to talk to them and say, hey, do you have small groups? Do you use curriculum? 
you know, you don't have to use everything they have, but say we're in Cook County now studying the life of Joseph. Yeah. So right. they had a course on Joseph. What better course to use in his life than in a prison or jail? That's amazing. But if you want to study Daniel, Revelations, the Gospels, you know, um, all kind of different topics they have. So it's trying to get churches to engage and saying, hey, let's let's let our small groups, let's take a season for like, you know, 10 or 12 weeks and let's go through one of these courses as a group. That's they got children's courses. If you do discipleship, to me, is the biggest thing that Jesus asked us to do in Matthew 28. So it's if you're meeting with a person one on one or two or three people that you're discipling, where's the spiritual formation at in their life? Yes. There's a lot of good books you can read about how to live the life. But what are you using to dig deep into the word That's and really understand good. and learn it? So these courses can be used for that. So it's promoting that. We go to conferences for them and represent them to try to get the word out because like these courses are a big deal, man. They really help people's lives change because it's all about the word of God. That's incredible. Well, and so at Community Christian, the church I'm a part of, uh, we've just launched what we call Community Freedom, where we're helping to plant churches mm-hmm. in prisons. And one of the things that I'm always compelled by when I hear your story is that your passion and fire for this because you've lived it is is palpable. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious what you think the church could learn because it seems like this is actually a thing the church is sort of waking up to. Like, how do we how do we care for our brothers and mm-hmm. sisters in prisons? And a lot of the people uh, making those decisions have never served time, so they're you know it's their best guesses. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you think the church could learn uh, in your experience in how to engage men and women in prison? Yeah, I, I appreciate you asking that because that's what I experience ninety percent of the time. Really? People that don't know, they're just coming up with ideas of things to right. do. Right. So my so my one and only response to that is. Find some people that's been inside, that's been a part of ministries as a resident Mm. and tap into them. Yep. Ask them, what did you see work well? What didn't work well? Like, what do you think may work better? Make them feel valuable. Yes. You know, talk to other organizations that are doing it. Find out what they do Mm. and then pray and say, Lord, what would you have us do? Right. Because there's a lot of different things that can be done. But the thing is, what should you do? Yeah, right. It's actually a lot of how I think we approach missions work, right? We we often say we're partnering with the churches that are on the ground there because yeah. they're the ones that are living it. Mm-hmm. It would make sense. Why wouldn't we do the same thing and wanting to partner with yeah. prisons? Is that something like if somebody went to your website, they could ask you about or you could connect them with somebody? Yeah, they can go to my website and contact me directly. You okay. know, email me in the next day or two, you'll get a response and we can hook up, have coffee, breakfast, lunch, talk on the phone, <laughs> whatever you want to do. I'm open to doing it. I mean, if you're listening and that's you, if you're even remotely interested in how do we better serve or engage uh, men and women in prisons, like I can't think of anyone better than Lewis Dooley to reach out to because, I mean, even just in our conversations, you've opened my eyes and perspectives to the ways that sometimes we miss the mark and sometimes, you know, even with our our best intentions, mm-hmm. sometimes I think we can uh, we can do things that maybe aren't as helpful as we think they are. And uh, so coming up next, I have some other questions for you, not only about the ministries that you're a part of, but some of the dreams that God's laid in your heart for the future, Mm. because that's another thing I love about you. Like you have this like righteous discontentment. Mm. Like it's, it's never (laughs) like, God, where are you leading us next? And I never have a cup of coffee with you without leaving feeling like, oh man, God, where are you leading us next? What's the next Mm. thing that you're pointing us towards? So Mm. uh, that's been Lewis Dooley, author of Prison Saved My Life. I recommend it for everyone. You can learn more at lewisdooley.com. That's L-O-U-I-S-D-O-O-L-E-Y.com. Cannot encourage you enough. Get the book, watch his videos, learn his story. And uh, coming up next, we're going to learn some ways for those of us listening can actually get involved in what you're doing here in Chicagoland. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Plus, if you're not aware of this, the show is podcasted. So literally wherever you get your podcast, you can actually ask Alexa or Siri, find me, The Common Good Podcast. I think that'll work. I'm not really sure. If you like and subscribe, that actually helps us out somehow. Uh, but enough about that. My friend Louis Dooley is in the studio, one of our only return in-studio guests. And uh, hopefully by now, it's clear why that is, because your story is so fascinating and so compelling and so convicting to me. And if you're just joining us and you have no idea what I'm talking about, go to lewisdooley.com, uh, get his book, Prison Saved My Life, on the website. There's a bunch of videos there where you can kind of get a glimpse of uh, what he's up to, what his story has been, and where God is leading. But all the stuff that you've talked about, is still only the tip of the iceberg, which is another thing that blows my mind about you because I feel like every time I see you, you're like, yeah, I'm also doing this now. I'm like, how does this guy sleep at night? Like, how do you, how do you have the energy and capacity to do all this is beyond me. But you also right now are working with Cook County Jail and the Juvenile Detention Center of Warrenville. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there specifically? Yeah, so in Cook County Jail, we go into the maximum security unit there's like three of them division nine ten and eleven and we've been in nine about two years now okay with the vision to plant bible studies and all the tiers in that division which there's like you know 20 of them there is yeah and we only got two and that's just because it's maximum security right they only have a couple units that are program units and so we have a bible study planted in each of those which recently a few months ago we started an intermediate Bible study in the same unit yeah. where we have people who were in our unit, our study already that have gone through a lot of the curriculum. They're actually leading no the beginners group. Yeah, so we got we taught them so they could be teaching others. And so we got that going on. Um, and then Division 10 just contacted me a couple months ago saying, hey, some lady just emailed me like that. I don't know her. And she said, we heard about you in the ministry and from other inmates and other staff people and said, we want you to bring your program over here. And I'm like, wait a minute, you want me to come bring Jesus over here? Like that's not that unheard of right. but in a maximum security jail is like the devil don't want that. Right. Right. So I was like, man, guy like this is huge. So I've been going speaking over there the last couple of months, but they want me to, that's just me sharing my story with the different units. Yes. They want me to come over there and bring the whole, they call it a program. So okay. they want me to plant some Bible studies over there. No so kidding. So I'm eager to do that, and the door is open, but I need volunteers. So I mean, how does I'm, somebody get involved in that? How, what? Man, they, they contact me. We okay. have a conversation. I want to hear about you. I want to hear your story. Um, there's a little bit of training that you had to go through from the jail standpoint. There's a little bit of training you got to go through from our standpoint. Okay. I can take you in for what I call a taste and see, which just means you can send me a copy of your driver's license. We could pick a date two weeks out. I okay. send it to the jail. They approve you. Come in with me one time and you can taste and see what we're doing. No kidding. And then you can say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I want to be a part of this. Or like, yeah, I don't think this is a fit. Oh, wow. So we can do that where you don't have to go through this long because there's a lengthier process to become a volunteer. That's brilliant. Um, for the jail. So that's that's how a person could engage in that. And then the Illinois Youth Detention Center in Warrenville, you got 12 to 18 year olds who are in jail. And essentially, it's the only girls facility in the state, mm. and it's the only facility that they also have boys there. Really? So they have boys and girls together. Wow. At the same time, just a few weeks ago, there was like um, 11 boys and three girls. Wow. And so the idea there is to um, build community with them for as long as they're there through sports, through Bible teaching, and through food. Wow. And so I want to take some high capacity, like I like to get some people who still currently play sports who coach sports or at least know who, how sports go, 
so we can spend some quality time with them basically doing soccer, softball, flag football, basketball, and volleyball. That's amazing. Those would be the five, and I'm open for other options. But, to you know, there's a lot of life lessons in sports uh-huh. that you can learn from a biblical standpoint. Then after that, we'll do like a 15, 20-minute Bible teaching. Okay. And then after that, we can take any food in. It just can't be home-cooked. No kidding. We've been taking pizza. They wanted the McDonald's spicy chicken sandwiches. So, <laughs> you know, we've been taking food in there, and that really gives a time where you can sit one-on-one or one-on-two or three and really, you know, start opening up and really, you know, asking questions and building a relationship with them. And the ask for each of these is only twice a month. Oh, no That's kidding. It. So it's not like you got to come every week, and if right. not, you're out. Like, just commit to twice a month. That's the only commitment. That's amazing. All right, so just give me an idea of how many volunteers you're looking for. Like, Man, I need about I need about 10 for Cook County Jail, and I'd like to have about 10 for Warrenville. Okay, 20 just, volunteers. Yeah, just because like I'm not asking everybody to come every week. Right, and right. And for the Warrenville thing, I'd like to have about Man, like maybe six or seven every week. Yeah, right. Because I want us to actually play games. Okay. You know, like these sporting events, and yep. I'm working on getting equipment, so I'm reaching out to churches saying, hey, you know, here's a wish list of things. You know, can you help? I've already emailed Nike, Reebok, Under Armour, Spalding, Rawlings, and I'm not getting nowhere fast. Like, yeah. I'm getting denied or I'm not mm. getting a response. And so, you know, that's okay. I'll just reach out to some churches, and if that doesn't work, then I'll just have to reach out to some people and you know, whatever the Lord provides, like we'll be able to do what we want to do. All right, I'm going to get a little biblical on everybody for a second because <laughs> your ministry in particular, there's a lot that we could debate about what Jesus says and cares about and what this verse says and what that verse says. Uh, there's there's some pretty explicit verses that talk about like people saying, Lord, when, when did we visit you in prison? Mm-hmm. And he's saying, man, when you did it for the least of these, you did it to me. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's right there in the yeah. gospels yeah. and and prison specifically is mentioned. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're in any way compelled, and maybe you're surprised actually that you're being compelled, like you're hearing mm. Lewis's story and you're like, I've never thought about this demographic once in my life, but I feel like, I feel like something is drawing me out. Like pay attention to that drawing. That's yeah. the Holy, I believe that's the Holy spirit mm-hmm. kind of knocking Amen. on the door of your heart saying, yep. this is your opportunity. Like yep. step up, make an impact in the lives of people that quite literally Jesus himself says, Hey, this, this is part of where the kingdom is found yep. is like in caring for people. Like you were saying at the beginning of the hour that felt like your life was over, mm-hmm. that you didn't have anything to live for. Like to have an opportunity to be Jesus to those people, what an opportunity that is to yep. be the hands and feet. And you're saying right now, like, all right, 20 volunteers. That's, that's what we need. I think out of the people that are listening right now, or you're listening via podcast, like we could, we could fill that need right here and right now. And they just go to lewisdooley.com. Yep. They can contact me through that. You know, the funny thing is, you know, there are so many good books, you know, good books that are written about discipleship and how to be missional in your neighborhood and all of that. And, right. and again, they're great books, but, Absolutely. but there's a fear, right? Into mm. going knocking on your neighbor's door to talk about Christ or randomly going up to somebody at, you know, Starbucks or something like that. Right. But here you got an opportunity where you can go into a jail where people are hungry. Yes. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> like you can't miss. Right. They're you right got there. people that's coming saying, tell me about Jesus. Come tell on. me about something that, that can change my life. Like literally people are coming because they want life change. That's so good. It's like that to me, prison and jail ministry could be actually easy way out of doing evangelism <laughs> because you don't have to try to reach the stubborn person. You're actually reaching the person that wants it. That's so good. It's people that are like hungry for it. Like you're yeah. saying, and They're, I'm not meaning every single person, but right. there's people everywhere you go 
who want to sit down and they want you to tell them about Jesus and about yes. the Bible and about God so they can get their life on track. See, that's the preacher Lewis Dooley that I'm talking about, man. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're getting straight up gospel on me right now. <laughs> yeah. All right, so lewisdooley.com. That's L-O-U-I-S-D-O-O-L-E-Y.com. You can learn more about not only his ministry and his life, you can get his book, Prison Saved My Life. He's working in Cook County Jail, Juvenile Detention Center in Warrenville. If you're even remotely close to those places, and you're in any way feeling nudged right now, I want to encourage you to pay attention to that nudge. This is an opportunity, like you were saying, to care for people who honestly maybe are feeling unlovable, uncared for, or overlooked. Man, I am so grateful for you, Mm. for your friendship, for your work in the world, man. I pray that God continues to bless you, give you hope and encouragement, and just brings a truckload of people to come alongside you, man. It has been so good to have you here. Well, thank you for being here. It's been a blessing as always. It's blessed to have you as a friend and a brother. So, I'm just grateful. Hey, thanks, man. The feeling is most certainly mutual. Love hey, man. you, man. Love you too, brother. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I am so sorry to say Brian Fromm is still not back yet. We're we're told he may return but if not, uh, we'll figure something out. Anyway, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. But I'm so excited to have in the studio for the very first time my friend, Dr. Gene Kroom from Judson University. How are you, sir? I'm great, Ian. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan of you guys. Do, I'm a big fan of yours. Job. Thank wow. you very much. So, so Many of you probably don't know this, but uh, I mention it a lot that Judson is my alma mater, mm-hmm. and uh, I try to make my way there as often as I can. Judson feels like, honestly, not to get sappy, more than an alma mater, it's kind of home for me in a lot of ways. Some of the most formative years of my life and ministry happened at Judson. And uh, I'm curious, just anecdotally, like, what is it like being the president of a, of a university, and, and what about that has surprised you? Because you've been there for how long now? I'm in my seventh year. You are? Mm-hmm. And and do you think that, like, where you sit now, did you have any sense of how it would feel seven years ago? Uh, some yes and some no. Really? I, still, I still have many days where <laughs> I sit there and go, I cannot believe they're letting me do this job. <laughs> and I'm sure after seven years, there are people going, I can't believe they're letting him do that job. But that's <laughs> that's part of what leadership is. Yep, I know the feeling. It's, uh, it's, it's the both and of enjoying what you do and being passionate about it. And um, Judson's a, a really special community. You hear people say that. It's... In some ways, it can be as tried as a musical artist be like, you know, hey, thanks, Chicago. You're the best crowd ever. And <laughs> right. next night, hey, thanks, Peoria. You're the best crowd ever. And, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but but it, it it is a very resilient, nurturing community. And for me, even on week one, we just we just didn't do things the way that other places did it. Right. Uh, and, and, and that was born out of care. So yes. it's it's been... 90% joy. There's been angst doing, doing business as a faith community in Illinois is a surreal experience. I just finished reading a book about Salvador Dali trying to write a script uh, mm. for the Marx Brothers in Hollywood 1930s. And 
it is a weird book. And uh, <laughs> how I, could it not be? Right. Well, it, as you might imagine, and um, it, there's it resonates with me trying to run a <laughs> Christian organization in Illinois right now. But that's where uh, God has us, and and um, it's an amazing community. And Cindy and I have been really blessed to be a part of it. As has our son, who's a Who's a freshman? Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll just say this too, for the record, I, your family has been such a gift to me and my Thank family. You. Every time that we run into each other at a wedding or an event, you guys always welcome us so warmly. And you don't have to because, you know, I'm not a student there. And uh, <laughs> it just, it means a lot. Your friendship has meant a lot over the years. And I'm, well, thank you. And we've been able to go to Belize together we on have. a couple of occasions. And uh, and I and I, I know a little bit of this, but I, I'm curious, what, it, what led you to become a university president? Because you're... Your background is in education, right? Yes. And and you are you the first president of Judson University to have an education background? Correct. I'm the first non-pastor or non-minister to be the president. Ever? Mm-hmm. Since, what, 63? 63, correct. No kidding. So ha- has that come with its challenges, to be the first, quote, not-pastor? Uh, I've been... I've been buffered a lot because uh, Jerry Kane, the previous president, who is our chancellor, which is a a wonderful honorary title that he's actually lived out Mm. as as a calling and as a as as work. Mm. And um, and, you know, Dr. Kane, well, as being his former driver and and escort (laughs) to various places, I did. Um, he, he did a wonderful job my first three years of really, uh, continuing to speak at churches mm. and going out and talking about Adoniram Judson, our namesake. Yep. And that allowed me to really stay focused on the business of the university side of it. Right. Um, but I, I enjoy it a great deal. I, you know, I worked at a Lutheran college in Nebraska, leave it to the ELCA church to pick the non-Lutheran to go right. speak at Lutheran churches. <laughs> so it's not that I'm un accustomed to it i do mm. enjoy it right uh but um you know without that background i'm probably people perceive me more as a public speaker than they do a minister but okay i enjoy the minister ministry part of my work i was more. gonna say because I've, I've actually seen in mm-hmm. action maybe in ways that a lot of people haven't like you clearly have a i think a minister's heart which i i find so compelling and interesting at that capacity because i think in a lot of ways you know sometimes when we think about like high capacity leaders you don't get to see them like like playing with children in the streets of Belize, you know, and I, and having, I just feel really grateful to have seen kind of both sides of you in that regard. And I'm curious, no, thank you. like what you've, Oh, of course, what have you learned though, as a result of, of this role, as it pertains to leadership, because you live in leadership world a lot. In fact, mm-hmm. you're teaching it and training it. And I'd love to know just how you feel that you've grown as a leader through all of those experiences. Well, I, um, I've continued to get more humble. Um, and, and, <laughs> It's interesting. I used to have this thought that I heard this phrase that only the president sees the entire organization. Mm. And I heard it shared about ministers too, actually only the senior pastor sees the entire organization. And I, as a younger leader, uh, I used to say, Oh, you know, people in the organization can see it all and, you know, and and experience all that. And it Mm. wasn't until I was an executive vice president for my best friend who was president of the school I was at Mm. where I finally realized, yeah, there's, there's only certain things at certain times that the senior pastor, that the CEO, the president, the owner of the company. That's right. Um, and then really even the mom or the dad know about a family. Right. And, uh, that's been the most important part of it. And it's been humbling cause not everything's gone great. Mm. And, uh, I've stubbed my toe and you have to be more than willing to apologize sooner and faster and more humbly. Oh, that's good. And, uh, you can ne- probably never do it fast enough and you can never do it with a depth of humility 
where everyone's going to accept it. And so you have to understand that. Mm. Um, and, and you, you have to understand that the majority of the people are going to appreciate the work that you do. Yeah. And you have to live with that. There's going to be a good number that don't, and you need to have an even bigger, larger open heart and follow what Christ said, you know, seven times 70, which yes. really what Christ was saying, it's infinite. Yeah. Right. And, and so if you're going to love people as I love people, you need to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. And the joy of it is doing it at a place like Jetson. I mean, it's just yeah. um, when you're fed that much. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, just look at this legislative session in Illinois hmm. and some of the things that were passed. And from a Christian perspective, there's some some tough things. I mean, we went for some of the, the bigger social issues. Abortion was on the table and was passed um, overwhelmingly at a very um, hard level for a lot of Christians in mm-hmm. the state to work with. Um, um, gambling expanded yep. and um, the vice, whether you're it's alcohol or marijuana, marijuana passed. Yeah. Right. And so if you're a Christian, you're looking at these things going, wow. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> what have we not been doing? Yes. But leadership teaches you that you need to be humble. You need to come back. And um, I have days where I go home exhausted. Fortunately, I have a awesome wife who I rece- agree. receives me that way. And then supernaturally, I'm filled up overnight and I go back to work as excited as I was the day before. That's so awesome. um, if you have that balance, then I, I think you feel like God's walking alongside of you every second. You know, you have the Holy Spirit walking alongside of you. It feels good. Yeah. I remember, I think it was just a week or two ago. It must have been Alan Hirsch. He said something like, uh, if you want to make everyone happy, get out of leadership and sell ice cream. Correct. <laughs> like there is, so there is just an unmistakable component of leadership that eventually someone's going to disagree with you probably pretty passionately. And that doesn't mean that you're always correct a hundred percent of the time, but that is something that I want to ask you a little bit more about, sure. because I know that some of the difficulty of leadership that people don't realize is the arrows that we can take that often very few people, usually just our, our families really, really know about. And uh, I'm curious kind of how you've navigated some of that, but also some of how I've seen you pour into students and other young leaders that are better because of it which is just something that I think you do exceptionally well. Oh, thank you. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit coming up next. That's Dr. Gene Kroon from Judson University, my alma mater. We're going to keep him for the entire hour, if that's wow. okay. I'm thrilled. <laughs> that's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I cannot tell you how happy it makes me that Dr. Gene Kroom is mouthing every single word to that song right now. Is there anyone that doesn't stand for the common good more than Weird Al Yankovic? (laughs) No, no. That makes me so happy. And the reason we played that is not inconsequential. You actually are a pretty massive Weird Al fan. Is that correct? Since we have been in Chicago, um, some combination of our son, uh, G3, my wife, only one time, and myself, we have seen him three times in concerts. No kidding. And he's coming back this summer with the No Strings <sighs> Tour performing at uh, Ravinia. See, yeah. I didn't know that. I got to go take care of that right now. In fact, that song that we just played, that's uh, Weird Al's Fat off of Michael Jackson's Bad. Correct. I actually did a lip sync dance to that in fifth grade. That was my presentation before being homeschooled. Well, <laughs> and see, this is why we had this this uh, um, unique connection because Weird Al song "Eat It," yes, I was a part of a pantomime group in high school, and we finished second in the talent show no. to doing "Eat It," 
And uh, we got we we were defeated in that talent show by a guy on roller skates. Oh who, gosh! Who did a roller skating routine? And um, I thought for sure we had that one won the year <laughs> yeah. before. The year before we did John Anderson swinging. Come on! And then we progressed to Weird Al. So yeah, I've been Holy a Weird Al cow. fan for a, a long time. It's actually the first uh, record I ever bought was Weird Al's The Food Album. <laughs> I bought that and the Braveheart soundtrack at the same time. Two records that could not have been more different. Man, is that that's left side of your brain and right <laughs> yeah, side of your right. brain? Okay, I don't and actually again. know if you have anything in the tank on this one, but you had sort of joked about it. Like, all right, leadership lessons from Weird Al. Are are there things that we can learn? You think before we move on from Weird Al and his career and his oh, approach sure. to life? Absolutely. Really? Uh, yeah. After reading lots of interviews by Weird and following him on social media. Yeah. Uh, number one, it is it is very, very, very difficult to find anything that he really says that's disparaging or negative. In fact, I, I've really I don't know that I've ever read anything he said that's disparaging. Even when he was turned down from covering someone's song, yeah. he always had this uh, good spirited nature about it. Really? And um, he, genuinely uh, people seem to like him, but it, it, he works really hard at creating a positive energy. And so we talk about leadership books like Positive Leadership by Kim Cameron, which is a phenomenal leadership book that leaders should have. Weird Al probably um, represents all four of those characteristics. The, the second thing is, is that um, he he understood what he was good at and what he was passionate at, mm. and he pursued it. Wow. And he he really has worked at it and he has, he has gotten better and better and better and better at his craft. Yes. And that's, I think that's our prayer as leaders and as, as uh, followers of Christ is just to get better and better and better. So I, I want to be as good at my teaching when I'm 70 mm. as I was when I was more energetic and passionate when I was 28. Right. And I think Weird Al's done the same thing. Okay. So I didn't plan on going this direction, but I, <laughs> I love what you just said there. And that first one, about not being disparaging of other, mm-hmm. even people that turned him down. I think of this, uh, this Samuel Johnson quote that I've always loved. He said something like kindness is in our power, even when fondness is not. And for you to identify this as a leadership trait, I'm curious why you think that's so rare in a lot of leadership circles. Why is kindness not seen actually as a strength, but often as a weakness? I find that in a lot of leadership circles, it's the one that has the sharpest criticism that's seen as the most alpha or the most powerful, the most influential. Why, why do you think kindness is such a missing element in a lot of leadership roles? I, I think it's because kindness is a very difficult um, belief to hold in a, in a, in a very strong place within you because what kindness requires are some of the hardest skills to master. The most important one is being a amazing deep listener. You can't be kind Unless you really listen. The second one is empathy. Wow. You can't be kind unless you have a deep sense of empathy. You can't be kind unless you have forgiveness. And finally, you can't be kind unless you have grace. Wow. And so um, without grace, kindness becomes more of a gesture. And I think I'm good at that gesture. And mm. I have to work really hard at the grace piece because one of my big weaknesses is my I don't care meter can run really high Hmm. and so if i'm in a discussion or in a in a challenging environment uh, or if someone cuts me off on the road my i don't give a care meter can go really high (laughs) right and and so i i will either disengage or tend to blow somebody off and that's not healthy Hmm. so i have to i have i have worked hard to learn to remain connected and in the moment and and i've tried to work hard that even when i've blown it 
to come back and re-engage. And that's where the humility part comes in. That's the final piece of it, man. Without that humility part, kindness is incredibly difficult. Grace and humility are probably the two most important elements. I, I can't believe that you just riffed all of that without a single note in front of you. Like that, that's, I just want people to know that that is somewhere just inside you, which is what I think makes, makes you such a great leader though, to even identify like, Hey, the care meter sometimes is, is really deficient. Like I think of, uh, I think it was Ebert Hubbard who said the true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. And like, I remember first reading that and wielding that towards other people. And later in my life thought about, Oh, I'm that guy at times, right? Like to think exactly. And don't we sometimes just call it strategy? You know, when you mm-hmm. buddy up to the person that could make the biggest endowment or could make the biggest impact, we call it wisdom and we call it strategy, but sometimes beneath the surface, it's, Oh, I'm just not caring for this person very well. And I'm curious, like in a college environment, because you're dealing with kids that are, you know, in a lot of ways kind of having their minds blown by learning stuff for the first time. And they have a lot of energy, a lot of fire. Like, how do you foster that while also helping them learn and, and see some wisdom? Well, Without, don't squelch their excitement, but also, you know, help, help them have some perspective. What's unique about it, Ian, is that it's not it, it is. It is a universal desire to care for people because we're all bringing our own junk into every relationship right. every time it occurs. So whether it is the 18-year-old going to college for the first time in, in a dorm room and it's 2 o'clock in the morning and they're homesick and they're aching and they're hurting, mm. or if it's an adult student in Rockford and she's a single mother and she's rushing to take the kids somewhere to get care so she can go take her class at night and she's had a terrible day at the office because her boss is awful. Right. It, that same feeling, that same humanness is the same. I mean, it's mm. they're, they're people. So you have to focus on where's this person coming from. And then uh, how does God want me to walk alongside of them for now? And, and often two times, especially in American culture, and we see this with mission work quite a bit. Yep. We, we want to go and help. I'm, I'm the oldest of four. My wife is the oldest of four. We, mm. we probably weren't supposed to get married as two oldest children. <laughs> and, and so my, my training, my oldest, genetic composition is to fix or help or defend. Yep. I'm the oldest as well. I hear you. And so what I've had to work on is to be present. And it's really hard for an activator to do that is to be present. Uh, But that's often the greatest gift that I can give is to do that. And I've had, I learned that with my sister. I I relearned it Mm. with my wife and I've relearned it by having a daughter and a son. And you learn that every day being in the college environment is that you need to be present and walk alongside of folks. And sometimes don't focus as much on fixing and focus more on being present with that person. Okay. So I want to, that's a great segue because you have a, this really, I think wonderful heart for missions work as well. Mm-hmm. And that principle I've seen at work in your own life and something that I think in a lot of ways, the Western church has missed the mark on where we hop on planes and we show up and we say, Hey, we're here to fix it for you. You're welcome. Rather than, being present and assuming a posture of a learner, which can be really hard because, you know, a lot of us, we've been ingrained to see ourselves as the fixer. Right. We're here to save you in this poor country that we visited. And how, I'd love to know a little more coming up next about how you came to some of those conclusions and how you've grown in that regard. How, how can we be present, not just in the mission field, but in our own neighborhoods and our own communities. And uh, I would love to just kind of learn from you a little bit in that regard, if that's okay. I'd be honored. That sounds great. That's what's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm will return tomorrow, but you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is that you get your podcast. 
But I am absolutely thrilled to have in the studio Dr. Gene Kroom, the president. I'm trying to think of a more presidential like introduction, though. How the... The Honorable President, the... I had a student call me G-Money in class <laughs> in the 90s when that was popular. That was in front of people? So they, called they you G-Money? They, they asked me what to call me in class, and I said, well, you know, it's important to refer to people, whatever you're comfortable with. And he said, can I call you G-Money? And oh, the rest of the semester, he called me G-Money. <laughs> for the rest of the semester? Uh, oh, this is a person I need to meet. It's hard for me to pull off a real G-Money demeanor, but hey, uh, good for him. I think I He's think done quite well, there. actually. He's Has done, he really? He's, done, he's had a very good career. Yeah, he did all right. Well, Judson University is my alma mater, as many of you know. Uh, it also is a whole lot more than that. It's also kind of a uh, it's kind of a home away from home mm-hmm. for me, and I've really appreciated not not only what Judson has meant to me, but like your leadership. Even though oh, you. you came well after I even graduated, it's actually pretty because people have asked a lot. Um, you, you know, Judson comes up in conversation a lot, and I speak really highly of you and of the Croom legacy. And people are like, "Were they there when you were there?" I was like, no. And like, how did you guys even meet? I'm like, I'm not really even sure, but we've gone on missions trips together and we've, you know, talked about our love for Weird Al. And somehow mm-hmm. you uh, masterfully segued Weird Al into missions work and a posture of leadership. And how, how can we uh, assume a posture of a learner when we go to these places? And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how kind of you've come to some of those conclusions when a lot of the predominant mission philosophy was we show up and we fix it for you. And how, how did you ever like invert that philosophy in leadership and how you approach missions? I think um, part of it for me and my personal experience, and, and especially when I, I took what would be my first outreach trip, uh, which was to Tanzania, Africa. It was such a different, unique experience that I, I, I couldn't fathom how anyone could go into that environment mm. thinking they're there to help versus I'm here to be in relationship. So I think part of it for me is that I had some really good role models. I've always been a huge Eric Little fan. Um, if you remember Chariots of Fire and Eric Little, who famously didn't run on Sunday, but then won the gold medal in the 400 meter and then mm-hmm. gave up all of the worldly fame any person in the 1920s and 30s could have had to go back to the mission field uh, in China, uh, mm. which ended up uh, basically costing him his life. And the the grace and the presence in his whole leadership and discipleship philosophy of how to do that, which was to surrender, surrender to God and be in relationship with folks. So we talked about Weird Al having this great sense of humility about his work and, and, and being there serving Eric Little did the same thing. And then mm-hmm. having a mother and a father as educators and as a principal for my dad, teacher for my mom. And they were very good at um, walking alongside of students because mm-hmm. they saw a large cross section of students. And right. so, they understood in their education career, my job's not here to fix. My job is to walk alongside of and to help this student be successful to get to where they need to be. Plus, I taught public speaking and um, right. in teaching public speaking um, with the old what's the old Jerry Seinfeld joke the the number uh, one fear is public speaking. The number two fear is death. Yeah. So most people would rather <laughs> be in the box than give the eulogy. You know, I, I used that just last yeah. week, actually. And so um, teaching public speaking, you have to receive students where they are because mm. they're really intimidated about getting up in front of a classroom or even their friends. And, right. and I've had some nutty, fun experiences. So it's seeing leadership in the unique, like even being a mascot advisor. Mm. So helping teach the ethos of being in a costume but bringing joy and energy to an event and environment or bringing a smile to a kid's face. Mm. Um, There's a lot of leadership elements that go into that. All that translates into preparing yourself for the mission field, which is to go and walk alongside of 
and to not make yourself bigger than your hosts or the people that receive you. Yeah. So if you're going on a mission trip and if your mentality is we're going to go down there and help and fix something, then what you're going to learn is that you're going to be the one who's going to be fixed. Mm-hmm. God's going to flip that script on you and you're going to have the heart that's mended. Yes. Probably more so than you're mending anyone there. Right. And I have seen that happen time and time again with folks we've gone to Belize with. Yes, that's right. And uh, how they went thinking, I'm going to solve this problem. <laughs> yep. And as our Belizean brothers and sisters have showed them, their, their, their learning was, wow, I, I, didn't think about that. Well, that's, so that's good. what scripture is all about a lot. I didn't think about that. Yeah, no kidding. All right. So uh, a little bit ago, you mentioned Eric Little. Yes. And there's a, uh, he's a center in Scotland, right? And Correct. I, I am Edinburgh. At, so I, I hear, I understand that there are some possibilities for future partnerships in some capacity there. I hope so. Um, and yes, there, there is. And that's evolving. I'm the North American ambassador of the Eric Little Center. I've had the pleasure of being in that role since before I started at, at Judson really? and, um, and we've, we're, we're in a final stages of building out a partnership with them where hopefully we'll take a, a global outreach trip to the center every year. The Eric Little Center is what they call Holy Corner. It's in a church mm. where Eric Little actually taught Sunday school and there are three other churches on no that corner kidding. as well. And they do phenomenal work, especially as it relates to dementia care and care for caretakers. Wow. Um, they make a big impact in the, the Scottish community and a lot of leaders in the field in, in terms of uh, uh, caring for memory loss and individuals going through those things. So wow. we hope to build out a partnership with them and we've connected with uh, uh, Scottish individuals and the, the old Scots of um, Chicago organization that's here as well too. And wow. and he's a great Christian role model. I mean, he still is relevant today. Three books have been out on him, new books in the last 18 months. And no kidding. Of course, in just five years, it'll be 2024 and we'll celebrate the hundredth anniversary of him winning the um, Olympic gold medal for the, what is now the 400 meters and then um, wow. um, uh, celebrating the fact that he went from there directly to the mission field. So what, so why is that topic important to you? Is it, is it, was it the Eric Little interest first or was it the, the topic of dementia, dementia care first? It was Eric Little. Yeah. Uh, my, my dad, um, when the movie came out um, as a school principal, got a pass and said, you need to go see this movie. And really, and I was just, mesmerized i have always enjoyed athletics and to watch eric little story more so than harold abrams but i found that character to be compelling too mm. and then um and then once i started reading about eric little and then years ago got a copy of his book the disciplines of the christian life which is a daily devotional mm-hmm. and uh it's very good you know and, and to be a person uh, to live your life as closely hewn to god as probably any human could have done and even on his deathbed where he didn't know he had a brain tumor, but that's what was affecting him and him feeling like he's, he's not living out his full purpose to God Mm. and, and going through that, you know, it's, you know, even here's a man who's accomplished so much, who's so respected by everybody. And he's still talking about guilt and shame. It reminds me of that famous line about Billy Graham, where Billy Graham was asked, you know, do you, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Billy Graham says, I, I don't know. I'm worried about my salvation and going to heaven. And the response was, well, Billy Graham's worried about the rest of it should be. And <laughs> yeah, Eric, what chance do we have? Right. right. Eric Little's the same way. I mean, wow. uh, and that inspired me. I, I, I'm nowhere near his level of discipleship and, and uh, living life to that total surrender, but inspires me every day. So I love staying in um, um, God's moment. Thanks to him as one of my inspirations as well. Did he inspire you to run? Are you a runner? I am. Um, 
he inspired me to take it up in my late twenties and thirties at a different level. Okay. But I always ran. I played football throughout my whole middle school and high school career, and I was I was that idiot that during sprints <laughs> at the end of practice I was running full speed, and my friends hated me, especially the <laughs> offensive linemen. But I've always liked running. You can tell by my physique. The weight room was. Not a favorite place of mine, so the running, the running was something I always enjoyed doing. I guess there are worse things to be into than than running. I wish I was into any of that. I run yeah. mostly because I have to, not not at all because I enjoy it. Well, you teed it up, and this is a perfect segue. You mentioned mascots, uh-huh. so I want to ask you about a very peculiar topic of mascots. You were a mascot. I don't know if you knew this. I actually was the Judson Eagle for a year as I well. I did not know that. It's true. So we'll swap some stories, but we're going to take a deep dive into maybe the psychology of mascots. Absolutely. Coming, coming up next with Dr. Gene Kroom of Judson University here in the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. That music... I can only imagine is in honor of the DC Talk reunion that everyone is losing their minds about right now, which I'm just mostly upset how good they still look. Is that weird to say? Not at all. It's a little maddening, actually. They haven't played together in 20 years. And they look like they're in their 30s still. It's actually a little bit ridiculous. They, they've they kept pretty good care of themselves, though. They've all been pretty busy and pretty successful in their own they ventures. They really so, have. Yeah, it's- all right, so that other voice you're hearing is Dr. Gene Kroon, president of Judson University, my alma mater. I cannot encourage you enough to learn more. Go to judsonu.edu. That's judsonu.edu, the best education I've ever gotten, that's for sure. In fact, it's really interesting because I'm in grad school now, mm-hmm. and I'm realizing how incredible my education was at Judson by how much is review at the grad level. And I've heard a number of people say that. They went on to grad school and like, oh... I learned this in my third year at Judson. Like, I think the, just the caliber of education is, has always been off the charts. But, you know, for me, living on campus, experiencing the, the college life, s- still to this day, I can point back to, like, really formative seasons that happened on that campus. And uh, I'm just really grateful. I think Judson has done an incredible job caring for leaders and teachers and thinkers and dreamers of all shapes and sizes. And I'm so glad that you're there because I just think, I think that you're really great fit there. And your compliment goes to the faculty and staff that walked alongside of you and those folks that are there today, those folks that were there last year and 10 years ago, they've all created a, a wonderful environment, a great community that we call Judson. That's why we say it's a great day to be a Judson Eagle. And we mean it serious, honestly. And when I reference, uh, like, when I talk about people who are my mentors, probably 85% of them are people who are on staff or were on staff at Judson. And I just think the more that I think about that, the more I realize how grateful I am for that. Speaking of Judson and college and universities, uh, you had, you had talked about it briefly last segment about mascots. You were a mascot. I was. I also school. was a mascot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you actually have a unique take because the uh, National Mascot Hall of Fame is looking to make Judson its first collegiate partner. And uh, and I'd love to know more about that and then more of your understanding of like why mascots actually are, are a really important component of community life. Well, so like you, I was a mascot in high school and then um, you were a mascot at Judson for a year. Just for a year. And yeah. then uh, when I was at Western Kentucky University, my alma mater, back working, I actually was the mascot advisor for several years. The mascot advisor. And uh, Big Red has been on ESPN commercials and uh, uh, Big Red has a great history of being an engaging mascot even how big red was born and Mm. and so as part of our training uh, for the mascots we would bring in a gentleman named nick wilkins uh, bowling green kentucky nick was was broadway the clown 
was oh, trained really? at uh, was professionally trained as a clown and Nick would come in and, and teach us about um, uh, communicating um, as the mascot hmm. and, uh, and and one of the neatest things is that when you're a mascot and when you're in the costume even using your own facial expressions in the costume changes the complexity of your of your movements of your arms and really? your legs so if you're smiling your hands are going to show it and uh, wow. your legs are going to show it. So we even talked about that. Let your face show, even though you're you're in the you're in the costume. Wow! And so um, so that led me down to studying mascots. And then when I saw the National Mascot Hall of Fame opening in Whiting, Indiana, and had a chance to tour it with Arrestes, the uh, executive director and the mayor of Whiting, and uh, Bonnie and Beaner and I went over to to start talking about a partnership. We we hope and we think we're going to end up developing a robust partnership with them. In fact, the arrest as the executive director was at Judson. We had Mark Cuban on campus speaking. Yes, in May. Right. And then we're going to take our, um, our spirit squad, our mascot and our cheer and dance team over there in August. When, when they come back to school as part of our training, we're going to do a leadership session at the national mascot hall of fame, because it's about teamwork. It's about, serving people and wow. you know one of the important concepts and when you're a mascot you're wearing this costume so you're going to be larger than or bigger than adults and especially little kids hmm. and when you're when you're doing that you have to learn as a mascot to make yourself smaller especially hmm. around little kids so you don't intimidate them so they don't right. get scared right and and that's a great leadership lesson is that if you want to be an effective leader more often than not your title will will make you bigger than you think you are to others and, wow. and the intimidation part kind of goes before you. So how can you as a leader make yourself smaller? That's really and, interesting. And I think Christ taught that to the disciples about making themselves smaller and serving their brothers and sisters around them by what they saw and how they saw it. Really? And so you can take, you know, what Christ was teaching the disciples to what it means to be in a, a mascot costume and you can bring Christ to life in people's lives by by being in a, in a costume and bringing joy to people, but then teaching them lessons and, and helping them because uh, a mascot is a psychological representation, right? The good side of that is uh, it can be fun and happy and joyful and make people laugh. And it makes going to a basketball game, a fun experience. The mascot hugs you, you get hugged by the mascot and it can also be traumatic. Hmm. So the, the, the debate and conversation in this country about um, native American mascots is an important one, right? Because we need to ask ourselves, well, if I'm a native American and that is my heritage, my cultural identity, what do I think about a white person dressed up in a costume like that? Right. And, and if people don't think that matters, then I would just encourage them to put up a little pause on that and, hmm. And think about that a little bit. So the psychology of being a mascot has been studied in lots of different ways in terms of both positive and negative impact. So we want to elevate the spirit aspect of Judson and we want it to be fun. And when we say it's a great day to be a Judson Eagle, you notice lots of other schools have other um, statements like that that they they share and they share it because they believe it. Yeah. And uh, identities and icons are important, and we have that in the church. Yes. Uh, you know, the cross is an important meaning to us. It's not a symbol. It is meaning, and mm. we assign meaning to those things, and how you flesh that out um, can make a difference in people's lives. So take it seriously. That's so fa- I've literally never thought about the connection between those two ever, and I wish I had like a whole other hour <laughs> to pick your brain about that. But the one thing that you said about titles making us big mm-hmm. – and the need for leaders to intentionally make themselves small. I remember the first time I asked somebody to meet my, in my office and they told me later how intimidated they were. And I've been just a small person in physique my whole life. And I remember being so baffled, like, why were you intimidated 
by me and they're like, well, you're the pastor. And that was like, a, that was like a brain shift for me. And I'm, I'm curious why you think that's so rare when it feels like most of the leadership books that are written, you know, seem to be driven from a very kind of alpha male perspective. And, and what is it about Jesus's leadership model? That's so compellingly different. Well, I, I think uh, a guy named Kent Keith did a great job. He wrote the book um, anyway. Mm. Um, Jesus did it anyway. And it's, it's called the paradoxical commandments. Mm. And essentially the commandments run something along the lines like this. Like, um, you know, when you do good in the world, the world's going to beat you down and, and ridicule you for it. Do good anyway. Ah, that's so good. And you know, Kent had this interesting perspective because that's, it's a, a pretty neat concept, but he basically has taken lessons that Christ taught the disciples and putting it in a book. Then mother Teresa posted a version of that in Calcutta in the orphanage. Mm -hmm. And then, some people started talking to Keith about it and Keith's like, okay, I've got this wonderful thing I wrote, but now everybody thinks mother Teresa wrote it. Right. And, and what he understood is that he needed to make himself smaller oh, wow. and say, wow, well, who am I to God gave those to me anyway. Right. Who am I to say that they weren't also mother Teresa's and, right. and that gets into the leadership perspective of make ourselves smaller. And that's because often we think leadership is achieving something. We think it is the top of a mountain and you don't go to the top of something to be smaller. Mm. You go to the top of it to be bigger. Just like this year, the big run up on top of Everest created log jams and you don't climb Everest to come back and casually work that into conversation, right? Yeah. It's not right. a, it's not a <laughs> afternoon cocktail party thing where you're like, Oh, when I was climbing Everest last week, uh, <laughs> you do it to be big. And, yes. um, there's a humility that, that often we leave on the sideline. Dr. Gene Kroom, I'm so grateful for you, for Thank your you leadership, for, the for your friendship. Thank man. you, likewise. That has been Dr. Gene Kroom of Judson University in Elgin. I encourage you to go to judsonu.edu. You will not be disappointed. Please come back on the show sometime. I'd love to. We appreciate it. Thanks for mentioning Judson and for being a great alumnus of the institution. It is my pleasure. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.